We often hear people say they do anything for someone they love. Maybe you've said this before. This is the story of a daughter willing to give one of her kidneys to save her father's life and hoping she'll be able to do it in time. I'm the last one left. No one else in the family is eligible. I wouldn't want to jeopardize Katie for my infant. And uh, so that does make it a little bit different. And in telling their story, we also take a look at the modern donor system, how it works, and why it fails to save more people. Select a speaker audio. A speaker microphone. I think you're all set, Dad. Can you hear me? I yeah. I've been on a number of these calls where someone a little older is challenged a little bit with the technology. Patience is usually short. Tempers usually flare, but not between Katie McGowan and her father Bill McGowan. The pair have more in common than most fathers and daughters, like a dedication to helping others. Bill is a retired teacher, coach, and guidance counselor who lives in the same city he grew up in. Katie is a nurse anesthetist. They're so alike, they do get on each other's nerves from time to time, but they're more likely to make each other laugh. You guys can hear me, huh? Yeah, yeah. All right. I can hear you. All right, let me put this up a little bit so I can hear you. In one way, Bill's illness wasn't a surprise. He knew polycystic kidney disease ran in his family. He knew cysts could form on his kidneys and over time reduce their filtering of toxins from his blood. But he also knew a good reason why he might not get it. That's the ironic part of the whole thing. My father had the disease. What they had suggested at the time is to wait, to monitor it. Um, supposedly, the older that you get, the less likely that's to show itself. So he went through 78 years of his life and basically remained dormant, never caused him any kind of a problem. So when in 2012, at age 60, Bill was told his kidney function was going down, he almost dismissed it. After all, he was eating right, exercising, like he had always done. I did all three sports. I did soccer, basketball, baseball. Uh, I usually walk uh, at least what, four or five times I mean, a week. Yeah, up until, yeah. I mean, up until this. No, um, but like up until like five years ago, yeah. he could outrun me. <laughs> but remember, Katie works in medicine. At that point in 2012, she was a nurse in an intensive care unit. She had seen kidney disease up close, and she knew to worry about the test results. For some reason, something just like, clicked like, wait a minute, like, I didn't know that my grandfather had this. It made me think like, is there something more here that, that needs to be investigated by a nephrologist? And does he need more um, uh, closer follow-up? Bill would be monitored closely from that point on. And two years ago, doctors told him things had gotten much worse and that he would need a new kidney. Doing their research, one thing became clear right away to him and his family. If he waited for a kidney from a deceased donor, his chances of living to see that day would be low. 
It was hard for me to understand exactly why the average wait time for a kidney from a deceased donor is three and a half years, as long as 10. 5,000 people on the waiting list die each year in the U.S., and about that same number fall off the waiting list because they've become too sick to receive a kidney. But there are millions of people around the world registered to donate their organs after they die. I'm one of them. I'm one of the 160 million people signed up in the U.S. alone. I found out why these numbers simply don't add up. Less than 1% of people die in a fashion in which their organs can be procured and used. So that's why it, the, the need continues to rise and the supply does not. Lisa Emmett is the executive director of the National Kidney Donation Organization. The group takes a different approach. They don't look for deceased donors. They look for living ones. It makes sense when you realize we have two kidneys and can live normal lives with just one. For Emmett, the work is personal. Her husband is alive today thanks to a donation from a teacher at their child's school. They do kidney transplants all day, every day. The success rate is very good. However, you just want to make sure that you're giving it your best shot. Emmett, who was found ineligible to donate to her husband, went through donor testing just like Katie is doing now. When they told me that he was need a transplant, I was like, well, I got to get worked up. Like that, that wasn't even like a, for me, it wasn't even like a, um, like a question. Test after test after test will size up Katie's overall health and the tests will show how well her blood and other tissues match or don't match her father's. The process can take months. You're usually in the hospital seeing patients and now you're a patient. Yeah, it's a... It's a very uh, humbling experience. A kidney is the most commonly transplanted organ from live donors. Dr. Stefan Tullios is the chief of transplant surgery and a professor of surgery at Harvard Medical School. He says living donors often say they feel they get more in return for what they gave, especially if they knew the recipient before, which 97% of them do. You know, people who are close to each other, um, they benefit from the donation by having now someone whom they are very close to um, uh, being healthy and uh, uh, being in a different uh, condition and uh, being now able to communicate and uh, to be the individual again who is the healthy counterpart uh, through that donation. Katie would love more than anything to have more years with her dad. She'd love to get back to doing some of their favorite things together. On that list, Boston Red Sox baseball games. They've spent countless hours since she was a little girl sitting on the third baseline. It was awesome. It was one of... um definitely the highlights of my life, um, going to the games with my dad and scoring the games and, um, just having those moments. I'm so grateful for Katie, even a couple of times came from, uh, uh, either school at Boston college, uh, flew in at least once or twice from California to, uh, 
attend opening day and then go back again. So it became uh, quite a thing in the family. Gomes is there again. This game from 2013 was one of her favorites because of what it meant to her father. It hasn't happened at Fenway Park for 95 years. The Red Sox are world champions. Getting to see his face because uh, there aren't many people that like take it that personally and just, you know, just getting to see him um, experience them finally winning and at home. It was probably one of the best moments of my life and I will never, ever forget it. Um, and it's, it's so meaningful. It's now been several weeks since Katie started testing. She has just a couple of more tests to go. After that, the wait begins. The wait that could be weeks before hearing how close of a match she is. With advances in medication, even a partial mismatch could work. But the closer the match, the better. If a recipient comes in and a willing donor comes in and they're a good enough match, they'll do a direct donation. Would they be able to improve and find a better match if they entered into a nationwide pool and did an exchange? Maybe. Probably. This kind of exchange is what's called a paired life donation. So if Katie isn't a close enough match to her dad, she might be to someone else. In turn, the person she donates to might have a mismatched donor that could help her dad. Emmett's group works closely with the National Kidney Registry. It facilitates 70% of paired donations around the country each year. But the system relies on having a large pool of eligible donors at any one time. And that isn't happening. There are roughly 20,000 kidney transplants each year in the U.S., and only a third are from live donors. Dr. Tolios and Emmett agree it could be a matter of people simply not understanding it's an option. I think we need to promote living donation in a way that we communicate that it is safe and that it is safe long term. Some of the donors that were involved in my husband's swap did not know before they donated a kidney that you can give a kidney while you're still alive. And like with many things in U.S. healthcare. There's the issue of money. It's common for a recipient's insurance to pay for the actual testing and surgery for a donor, but it doesn't always cover other expenses like travel, lost time from work. Recovery takes an average of a month. Donors have reported being stuck with bills in the hundreds, sometimes in the thousands. Affluent white people are most likely to donate and that's because they can afford to. That should not be the case. Um, it, it, it should not be the case that you should go into financial distress because you're taking time off work to save someone's life. Emmett's group and others are trying to change all this. They're educating the public. They're linking donors to resources to reimburse expenses. However, 
there's an issue beyond their control that also needs to be fixed if the system is going to work. And it's an issue preventing countless people from becoming eligible donors in the first place. Many people are disqualified from living donation because of their own health problems. One doctor might see these problems as a serious risk, an absolute reason to disqualify the donor. But another doctor might not see it that way. And this difference in medical opinion could leave Katie's dad without a life-saving kidney. That's because early screening tests have showed that Katie's kidneys have a problem. It's just like little things like I have a benign, non-obstructive kidney stone, which, I mean, a lot of people walking around with those. It doesn't impact anything. Doctors are still weighing whether it's enough to disqualify her. And maybe you're thinking the same thing. Should they be able to decide how much risk Katie is willing to take on to save her dad's life? That's a really good question. The donor team is focused only on the donor's health, short-term and long-term. Um, but different centers have different criteria. So if someone is turned down for kidney stones and they still feel like it's a reasonable risk for them to take, they are certainly welcome to try to be evaluated at another center. It doesn't mean if hospital A won't accept me with stones and hospital B does, hospital B's reckless. That's not true. Time is running short. Katie won't know whether she's eligible to donate for at least several more weeks. Bill's doctors have been clear that in just a couple of months, his kidneys will be so weak they won't be able to filter enough toxins from his blood. Untreated, toxins will build up and cause organ failure. He'll need to start what's called dialysis. Bill's life will revolve around going to a clinic several times a week, hooked up to a blood filtering machine for several hours at a time. There's also a home option where a fluid concoction could be infused into his abdomen at night and drained out in the morning. In either case, the longer it goes on, the more dialysis reduces the chances of a successful transplant in the future. The emotional and psychological is, to me, far greater and more weary waiting on you than the physical. I don't know if that sounds <laughs> uh, accurate or not, but, but the, the, uh, the, uh, just the mental aspect of it, it's not something that you can uh, get up or fall asleep and just say, you know what, yeah, when you wake up, you don't have it. It's with you at all times. Bill has a long history of faith. He went to parochial school, goes to church every Sunday, and also serves as a minister. I think my religion does offer me some comfort on particular days. There are still days that are really stressful, and it's difficult, even with a religious background, to not be nervous, anxious, and I think 
key around this is because of the unknown. When I go to mass, when I go to communion, it's a, this is definitely a comfort factor. Does it overcome all my anxiety? No, I don't think so. I wondered if the time Katie and her father spend together now feels differently than in the past. I think so. I I tried to throughout my life. I know that my parents are not always going to be here. And that weighs heavy on me a lot. Um, and that's always been kind of a concern of mine. I try to, uh, I try to make the most of the time that I spend with them. Um, it might be a little bit different now because yeah, it is, it's, yeah, it's uh, a major medical issue and, and there's a lot at stake. So I try to be more mindful of that um, and, and make sure that uh, my actions mean something. And there's always a Red Sox game. Yeah. It's <laughs> always that, that's for sure. I want to thank all of my guests for their time and for making this podcast possible. The website for the National Kidney Donation Organization is nkdo.org. The website for the National Kidney Registry is kidneyregistry.org. Music was courtesy of Satunaman at freesound.org. I'm Nathan O'Leary, and thank you for listening.